Hello, everybody. I'm Dave McClellan, and this is it. The U.S. Nationals, the biggest race of the year. There's bonus points up for grabs in the Winston Drag Racing Series. There is a purse topping $1.3 million, the largest field of competitors at any event throughout an entire season. The U.S. Nationals is the don't-miss race of the year for racer or fan alike. And the action, it has been absolutely spectacular up to this point. For the details, let's go to my good friend and co-host, Steve Evans. David, every professional drag racing crew always feels that they're trying as hard as they can. Then along comes the U.S. Nationals, and they seem to find there's just a little bit more that can be done. Maybe that's one of the reasons we have the quickest funny car field in drag racing history, led by Kenny Bernstein in this car at 5.33 seconds. Now, earlier in round one funny car action, the top three Winston Drag Racing Series points earners survived. Mark Oswald, Kenny Bernstein, and John Force. Don Perdome, however, saw his chances of a fifth Winston title literally go up in smoke when he lost traction in round one. Yeah, it was important to us at Indy here, but, you know, we've been struggling through this race, and we, we got into a, a clutch problem with the car. It just couldn't seem to sort it out here, and uh, we just worked on it right now trying to fix it. Your hopes are still alive, though? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's never over till it's over, as they say, and, and uh, uh, we'll go right to Pomona, and we'll, we'll, we'll fight all the way trying to get that championship. Well, when the qualifying dust settled yesterday, Top Fuel was also the quickest field in the history of drag racing, led by Eddie Hill's 5.08. Could a new record be far away? And there, the top four Winston points earners survived. Joe Amato, Gerald Gwynn, Eddie Hill, and Gene Snow. Now, in pro stock, Warren Johnson's Oldsmobile is on the pole, but based on his first-round performance, you'd have to say that Bob Glidden and his Thunderbird are closing in. David? Thank you, Steve. Working with us today at the U.S. Nationals is the three-time Winston Top Fuel champion, Don Garland. Don, the action has been spectacular thus far. What can we look forward to? Well, I'll tell you, with that average ET of the winning cars of 516 in the first round, I've never seen anything like that. We can expect some O's for sure for this race is over. Nice foreshadowing there, Big Daddy. We'll see if that comes into play later. Hello and welcome to episode number 46 of the Let's Run Some Source podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Pancari in Brandon, Manitoba. Joining me for our birthday celebration, or at least my birthday celebration, and it'll play in part in his later, is my brother, Brett Pancari. Brett, um, it is freezing here as we're recording this. I'm assuming it is slightly warmer in Sault Ste. Marie. Um, not that much warmer. I don't think <laughs> we had we had a warm spell for a little bit, but it's back to the coldness of winter. Well, that's which ends soon. That's a shame. Anyway, uh, this edition of our birthday extravaganza this year, we are going back to the years we were born. We decided to do the U.S. Nationals for each year. So, in my case, 1988, and in September, we'll look at the 1990 edition of the U.S. Nationals. Uh, so, kind of summer sister podcast when we did the U.S. Nationals two years ago for my birthday when I discussed my favorite edition, '89. And Brett discussed his favorite, 93. So, for the 88 race, Brett, uh, I guess we'll start things off here with just where things are at in each of the three big categories. Top Fuel, Funny Car, and Pro Stock Eliminator. Uh, I should know we're coming off of Brainerd, the big mo, as Brett and I call it. The winner is going into Indy where Joe Amato, Joe Amato, excuse me, John Force, and Tony Christian, Top Fuel, Funny Car, and Pro Stock. That's enough rambling out of me. You take it away now. Well... 1988 was, um, I wasn't kind of like when things really started to pick up in, 
and it's showing like some part 86 87 were good years but like parody really started showing up here in 88 um different role changes the cars got a little bit more sophisticated the competition got a lot closer and even some drivers were having breakout seasons um best examples you know eddie hill um who had his first full season in 87 but the Texans and returning to drag race in 85 they ran up in 86 made the first career final at the mile high nationals um but current reversed the car lost to larry minor but picked up sponsorship with super shops and pennzoil and he just had a breakout season um he met the quickest et in history in gainesville 506 guys first career win uh, i think he won two or two races i think to this point in the season he even led the points at one point but um a dnq at memphis really really hurt him um in terms of the points um we'll get to more of him later on another breakout star john force now granted force finished like third and third or fourth in points in 87 and had got he finally got his first career win at montreal in 87 which that he did not cover which they started covering in 88 uh, but he was a lot more consistent. He and Austin Coyle got something going. He had two wins, and he, and he, I think at one point, he was close to leading the points, but he was looking much, much more consistent. But I think the real true breakout star was uh, Tony Christian in Pro Stock. Um, he made his first career final in 87 at the, I think it was the Keystones, before getting trounced by Bob Glitton. Um, but he went to Chevy Beretta body, rare Morrison horsepower, and he even he let the points and even started quoting you no know, thumping Fords. Uh, he loved to beat up on Bob Glenn, but he was a contender, but there was a lot of parity. You know, Butch Lee was a contender pro stock. Warren Johnson for a little bit. Bob Glenn was struggling a little bit. Funny car, you know, uh, Kenny Bernstein, defending was the champion, dominated 87. He wasn't having the best of seasons because a bunch of role changes in the body styles of these funny cars. Because in 87, the uh, funny cars, they had giant, giant... Um, rear deck lids, a lot of downforce, and NHRA did some rule changes to kind of limit that. That brought the competition much closer. You know, Bernstein, uh, Mark Oswald, John Force, and McCullough at one point, even Bruce Larson, who was like just mass raced, you know, he broke out. He got his first career win at the Cage National over Bernstein. Bernstein only had two wins, so it was really close. And I mentioned um, Tom Fuel. You know, Dick LaHaye was defending was the champion. He won the Winter Nationals, but they were struggling a little bit. Had a different engine combination of what they had um, in the past. And they just started going back to their old combination of a smaller engine. They started picking things up a little bit. Um, Gene Snow, he also broke out. You know, he was the first driver in top field with the high gear only setup. And they won Montreal or had a runner up at Columbus and also Seattle. They're also notorious for showing up late to the stage lanes when they had problems with the turnarounds in the pits. Um, and then also I said Eddie, Eddie Hill was a contention. Daryl Gwynn, you know, don't forget about Daryl Gwynn. You know, he was his second season as part of Kenny Bernstein's scene with Bud sponsorship. Went on. He had a really quick car, and, and he even had the most wins of everyone in, and the season concluded with six wins. So a lot of advanced technology, competition was much closer. Records were being smashed left, right, center, and... I think the other big story, though, and we'll get into it here, was the Magic Four second barrier in top fuel was going to get broken. It was more of a matter of if, but when. Well, to be fair, it already had been broken, but not in an A-Tray event. Yes. Eddie Hill has said it at the A-Tray event at Texas, which is why we don't see Billy Meyer at this team. Well, we see his car. We'll get to that a little later on. Anyway, uh, so 
this is being held on September 5th, 1988, Labor Day weekend. This is the Diamond Peace Sports syndicated coverage version of the event. So it's about an hour long, as opposed to 90 minutes on American Sports Cavalcade or so. So we have uh, Dave McClellan, Steve Evans, and Don Garland showing up. It's kind of rapid fire, I find, at first, and then it kind of gets calms down a little bit later. I'm like, well, Dave, calm down. Stop yelling at me. Anyway, uh, we'll get to the liars in a little bit. Also, this weekend were the two cash money races, uh, the Mr. Gasket Pro Stock Challenge and the Big Bud Shootout. Uh, the Pro Stock Challenge was pushed back a day uh, to Sunday due to rain. It was supposed to be on Saturday. Bob Glidden winning that one over Bruce Allen. Allen had a hole shot, but Glidden drove around him. And the Big Bud Shootout, Mark Oswald, in a pretty good race defeats Jim Head. Head is running top fuel, I think, at the time. So Head is borrowing John A. Martin's Jam Air car, which had lost in the final to Force of Brainerd at the previous race. Uh, Oswald runs a 537. That'll be important later on in this coverage. Yeah, those, there's a tradition in, you know, big money, cash rich um, events. You know, Mr. Guys, the Hurst Pro Stock Challenge. And like I said, Glenn, at this point, we'll get to the, he had his performance back. And like I said, you know, Jim had kind of out of nowhere um, in John Martin's car because he said he went to top fuel. Um, you know, he was right there, Oswald, you know, got a bit of revenge for losing last year's Big Bush Show out the John Forrest when he had a waterline break and it may have spoke the tires. Uh, so the event coverage itself, it starts off, I think it's similar to how it was when we did the U.S. Nationals coverage on NBC in 93. Uh, it starts off with Top Fuel and Funny Car Round 2 and then goes straight to Pro Stock Semifinal. So we'll get to each ladder to go along. And no sportsman coverage because they hate me. They don't have time for your, time for your puny sportsman. Oh, they should have. We'll get to why later. But anyway. <laughs> Uh, so let's start things off here by discussing just a little bit about uh, the ladders, first of all. Uh, this is, again, as we discussed in the 89 show, back in the day when it was 1 faces 9, 2 faces 10, and so on, before we get to the 1 to 16 bracket, which comes in 1990. So in top fuel, in round number 1 at this point. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, in round 1, Eddie Hill defeated Rudy Topke? <laughs> Topke? Him too. Rudy Topke. Joe Model defeats Jack Ostrander, Frank Hawley over Jim Head, Gary Ormsby over Lori Johns, uh, Daryl Gwynn over Terry Cap, Dick LaHaye over Richard Holcomb, uh, Gene Snow over Earl Whiting, and Dennis Forcell defeats Frank Bradley. Any surprises there? Not really. You can be kind of a slight-ish surprise for Forcell being Bradley, because Bradley had a, kind of a quick car, but it was notorious for blowing up on the starting line, because he had fuel issues all year. Um, but nothing too out of the ordinary, I don't think. The only real upset, per se, I guess, if you look at it in the ladder-wise, is, is, is Gorsi was 15, beating seven Flory Johns. Yeah, and Laurie made her debut at Brainerd last week in top fuel. We could have had Gerald Gwynn facing Gary Orsby in round one, but no, we have to do this ladder format. We probably didn't even know it was this ladder format. Anyway, uh, yeah. so we'll start things off here. Quickest field in top field history, by the way, at this event. Uh, we began things with Eddie Hill and Joe Amato. Uh, for the most part, unless I screwed up and I did my ladder writing, uh, Eddie Hill is going to be in the first guy I mentioned, will be in the far lane, and in the near lane, will be the guy I mentioned second. Anyway, uh, anything quick before we get to the race itself? Well, like, as I mentioned before, you know, there was a huge matchup in terms of the point standings. And of course, Amato cut off the win at Brainerd. Eddie Hill really needed this win because I think also, I think still at the time, points were like, you know, one and a half points. So this was just huge in terms of uh, Winston Talchus because remember, 
Amal's been very consistent. He hasn't had that many wins, but he started picking it up. And Hill, he's got a quick car, but that DNQ at Memphis has really hurt him. And here's the race. And Eddie Hill smokes the tires. Joe Amato streaks past him for the win. A 5.07 second elapsed time at 280 miles an hour. What a ride. Yeah, and you can see that. What a fine edge these cars run on. When you're running in the O's, it's either smoke the tires or run a real good time. Hill smokes the tires early in a model cruise to the win at a 507 at 280. At the far end, we'll get intermittent Steve interviews and more Steve Camus as we go along here. Amato runs into a guy with a back-to-back and 88 shirt. That's a bit cocky, but not as much as that guy wearing a pink shorts. That is a choice. <laughs> yeah, like, who is this guy? <laughs> far end here, like, right in a model family. I... Yeah, he must have been really that cocky thinking that Miles going to go back-to-back back at the time. More later from that guy. Anyway, um, next race in round number two, Frank Hawley in the far lane against Gary Ormsby. Yeah, Frank Hawley was kind of out of the cockpit for a while after 84 when he went to Chi-Town Hustle Car um, for Austin Coyle. One two titles, obviously 283, but this was his first time in Tafio, and he's driving Larry Miner's car. Because uh, Meyer used to drive that car all the time, but now he stepped out, and Holly's now in the car. Um, Holly is in the south, and um, Gary Orsby, you know, like early 87, he still had that streamliner car, but then they finally got rid of it. And then he had a more lightweight car, started like one of the summer nationals, top five points, but 88, um, they were struggling. They just weren't nowhere near like they were last the late part of last year. Let's see who gets the Yeah, let's see who, uh, let's see who advances into the semifinal for this one. Hawley in the far lane of the racetrack, racing against Ormsby in the near lane. Hawley's made a great transition, and this is a tremendously powerful car. Larry Miner's car could run a five-flat any time. And Hawley breaks on the starting line. Ormsby the winner. The elapsed time for Ormsby, 5.26 seconds. His speed only 267 miles an hour. Well, that race ended early. Hawley's done pretty quick. Ormsby wins 526-267. That seems slow. Uh, I forget who, I forget what the context was. I think Garlitz is saying Hawley says this car can run a 5 at any time. Maybe a 4, a 5-0 oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that car can be decent you know, with minor in the car and whatnot, but... Yeah, maybe not that time, but Hollywood kind of have almost buried his head later on this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cut to George Hoover, Tom's dad, work watching the team work on a car, or or is watching the team work on a car. Don Gard says they're cutting the brake. I'm looking at that going. My son's doing nothing, and the old man is doing all the work. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> next race at round number two is Dennis Forcell taking on Gene Snow. Purcell, sorry, um, like I said, he ran alcohol dragsters for years, and Daryl Gwynn knew him very, very well. Um, so it was his rookie season top field. He has Larry Frazier as his crew chief, and they finished runner-up at Memphis to Daryl Gwynn. So he's kind of been there in the points and deal, like, I mean, okay season. And like I said, Gene Snow, approached a breakout season. Um, really the only driver at the time with the high gear only car. Maybe some other drivers may have went to high gear only, but Snow was really the big one that kind of did it. I think Jim Head had it as well. I was at one Montreal, run up into Columbus and Seattle. But at this event, he decided to bring a brand new car. And I think a lot of people were wondering, why would you bring a brand new car to this event? But 
Um, but so right now, you know, his performance was speaking for itself. And we'll see how it does in this race against Forcell. Don, this new car looks very similar to the old one. What's the difference? Well, Dave, it's just a few little small technical changes that Gene wanted to make that he felt was necessary. Talk about rolling the dice, bringing a brand new car to the biggest race of them all. And Dennis Forcell smokes the tires. And crew chief Chris Eckert registers his approval. Gene Snow, 5.07 seconds, his speed 275 miles an hour. Snow adding to the performance flavor of this U.S. Nationals. Pretty similar to the Hill in a model race where uh, Forcell Smokes tires off the line. Snow wins at 5.07 at 275 miles per hour. And right after that, we get a quick chat with him and Steve. A lot of people were shaking their head. Why would you bring a new car to the biggest race of the year when you had a winning car? Well, if you think about it like this, at Atlanta three years ago, I came out with a short car and ended up being runner-up to Pastorini on that Monday rain out. Last year at Dallas, a 508 with a new car. I feel good about new cars. You're a tinkerer, aren't you? I can't stand it to be still. <laughs> that brings us to our last race of down number two. Daryl Gwynn taking on Dick LaHaye. We get some dry hop action. Let's go. Well, Gwynn had the two-speed transmission in that car still at the time. And I think LaHaye had as well, but you can kind of see what they, the difference of a two-speed to the high gear. The high gear, you can't do the dry the dry hop or the dry burnout, uh, but the two-speed, you can. And let's see what happens in this race. What a race! And it is Daryl Quinn! The elapsed time showed Dick LaHaye had the quicker time, but Jerry Quinn, the crew chief on his son Daryl's car, celebrating the 5-13 victory. Dick LaHaye had a 5.09. It was one on the starting line. Look at that starting line advantage and the wheels in the air on that Gwen car. LaHaye never had a chance. Why, he'd have had to run a 5.05 to beat Gwen this afternoon. 14 hundredths of a second advantage, Don. That's what Daryl Gwen put in the bank when he left the starting line, and that paid off at the finish by inches. There's the time. So 5.13 for Gwen and the 5.09, oh so close for Dick LaHaye. But it will be Daryl Gwynn that goes into the semi-final round of top fuel competition. It will not be an easy race. Look who he has to run, Gene Snow, who has the lane choice by virtue of a quicker elapsed time in the quarterfinals. Gary Ormsby will be racing Joe Amato, and Amato has the choice of lane. Easily the best race so far. Gwynn a little bit out of the group, but he beats LaHaye well, 513-273, LaHaye 509-281, one on a whole shot. He faces Snow in the final, or semifinal, Snow have lane choice, and Amato, shockingly, has lane choice over Armsby. Yeah, Gwen normally is not known for his driving ability, because usually he has a very powerful car, but he whole shot LaHaye right out of the park. Um, a 509 from LaHaye, whipping right in there with Amato and Snow, but got a whole shot like that to Gwen and at the time, I didn't really need it for the points hopes because he lost to a model in the final at Brainerd when they had near identical ATs, and he was probably still sick about that deal. That brings us to Fabulous Floppers. Two. One and two. Yes. Uh, also the quickest field ever at this point. In round number one of racing earlier today, uh, you did hear one result in the intro. Uh, my boy, the snake, getting upset by Tom Hoover. Anyway, other action. Kay Bernstein defeated Bruce Larson. John Force over Scott Coletta. Mark Oswald. Ooh, look at our 537 defeated Mike Dunn. That's a big race in round one. Ed McCall over Johnny West. 
Uh, Dale Poli defeats John A. Martin. We mentioned the Hoover Perdome race. Chuck Edgels over Brad Tuttle. More on him in a bit. And Tim Gross defeats Eric Reed. Any thoughts on round one results besides my boy Snake losing? Well, I didn't realize that Bernstein and Larson faced each other in round one. That would have been the well, that would be a huge matchup a year later. Um, and like you mentioned, well, like Oswald and Dunn, you know, that Paisano car, you know, the two speed, and they always carry some big horsepower. And Dunn was the runner up at Indy in 87, won in 86 in the Paisano car. So they know how to win there at Indy. So that was a big matchup for Oswald, but Oswald was just consistent. Um, and like I said, Snake was pretty kind of daring the point, still in contention, but that round one loss, that really hurt him. Also upset was Reed with a seven losing the gross there, and then obviously the snake won, and then that was about it. Could have had, could have had snake versus Dunn if it was a one sixteen, but no. You'll hate me. Anyway, we began our funny car coverage with Dale Poldy uh, facing Kenny Bernstein. Well, Dale Poldy, um, he won the Winter Nationals, but that was when he was driving for the Over the Hill Gang and their uh, In-N-Out Burger Oldsmobile Forenza. Um, then later on in the season, he then started driving Billy Myers' car after Trip Shoemake drove it initially. I don't know if he was let go or he had he was fired he had to pull out or something like that. It was just a part-time deal. So Poldy was now in that car. And as I mentioned, Kenny Bernstein, defending was the champion, he only had two wins this season. I'll show you how the competition got so much closer um, to Kenny. He had, he had seven wins after Indy last season. So that's really how much, much competitive this season was. He also tried to burn the car to the ground, though, at one point. Yeah, he tried to burn the car to the ground at, um, at the Keystone in 87. And I should mention also at Brain Earth, lost in round one because he couldn't get the car to reverse. And then when he tried to get out of reverse, he ran over his crew members. That's always a good time. Anyway, um, you mentioned Poldy as well, taking over to Meyer car. I think I mentioned this earlier. Meyer had bought the I-Tray at this point, so he's busy doing that. And that also explains why Texas Motorplex isn't on the I-Tray schedule this year. Which I'll never understand why, because they just had age whatever. Anyway, uh, let's get to the race itself. Now, these next two cars, Dale Poldy and Kenny Bernstein, were within one one-hundredth of a second of each other in their performance time from the previous round. And Kenny Bernstein, by just about a foot, defeats Dale Poldy. His elapsed time, 5.38 seconds. His speed, 267 miles an hour. Don, that was a tremendous race. What happened? Well, Dave, even though Dale Poldy got a slight starting line advantage, Kenny Bernstein was able to parlay that performance of 5.38 seconds into a win, and Dale Poldy's 5.40 just couldn't catch Bernstein. A close race. Steve? Even three-time Winston champions like Kenny Bernstein are still thrilled when they're in a great drag race, and that was a good one. Well, I felt him all the way. I never saw him, but I just knew he had to be there. Just the feeling you have. It was a good one. Well, the numbers make it almost a dead heat. A 38 for you to his 40. He had a little edge off the mark. Well, that's good. I'm glad we had a little power to get by, and we needed it. Uh, the car's a little soft still. It needs a little more, but they'll work on the clutch some more. Will the racetrack take any more? Well, I think so. Yeah, I still think that we're a little soft. We need to, we need to give her a little more. See you in the semi. Okay. Pretty Garden did drag race. As you heard, Steve was pretty excited about it. Bernstein edges out Poldy. Poldy ran a 540, but Bernstein a 538, 267 miles per hour. Yeah, Poldy had a very slight hole shot, but they are strong and company. They pretty much had the power to the ground, and they 
and they won it with 538. So pretty much there in terms of him and Oswald. Our next matchup, Tim Gross taking on the aforementioned Mark Oswald. Well, like I said, Oswald got so close to you know, getting that second title. You know, like, you know, they won the title in 84, had a disastrous 85. Slowly been on the up and up. You know, 86, they were pretty much there. 87, they went from Pontiac to Ford. Fell off a bit, but now they kind of... This is probably their better seasons since that was the title in 84, maybe 86. And... Um, did you ever knew that early on in the 1986 season, Tim Crow's had the Skull Band sponsorship car? Yeah, what happened to yeah. that? I don't know either. He could not hold on to that sponsor, and then now he's got this white Pontiac funny car. Um, pretty much new because he had a Corvette in 87, he burned to the ground in Dallas. Um, he's been pretty much been there, but it's kind of fallen on hard times really since since 86, really. And here's the race itself with starring Mr. Tim Gross and Oswald. Maybe the good times will come for Tim this one. Makes you wonder what kind of pressure Gross is under right now. He, you know he's got to figure that Oswald's going to run another 537. That's how you tune your car by what the other guy's going to run. Gross smokes the tires. He has to lift off the throttle. Oswald wins it. And Don, it is another 537. The fourth in a row. Consistency is the name of the game for the Candies and Hughes car. They do not come for Tim Gross in that race. He lifts and spoke tires early. Oswald runs his fourth straight 537 at 269 miles per hour. That seems good. Very consistent. Although Gross absolutely drilled him on the starting line, but like you said, he had the pedal, and that was pretty much it for Gross. But Oswald's car right now, very consistent right now, ahead of Bernstein in terms of those two in terms of ET. Anyways, uh, we're going to hear quickly from Mark before we get to our next race. You know, as unpredictable as a nitro funny car is, I don't ever recall, Mark Oswald, any funny car running the same number four times. Another 537. Yeah, we're real happy. You know, we've just been putting it back the same, and it's been repeating. Uh, now it'll be come time to step it up a little bit. I was pretty conservative on the, the controls in the car that time. I think we might be able to step it up a little bit next round. What could you have done inside to go quicker? Oh, I could have put the clutch in a little quicker, but we were pretty sure that he couldn't run with us, and we wanted to be safe that time. So our next race that we're going to be seeing, and we're going to play the audio for Biff for this one, uh, is Chuck Etchell's taking on Ed McCall. Before we get to why we have extended audio, I'll have Brett talk about both drivers. Well, Ed McCall, they call him the ace, obviously. Um, been basically out with Larry Myers since 1984 in the uh, Miller American Oldsmobile as crew chief, you know, Bertie Federley, which I'm sure he won't be famous in a few years. Um, I'm sorry, I hit my mic. Um... And then, you know, free time winner of the U.S. Nationals. He was pretty good. Or he had, he had a decent season. You know, he won Atlanta, won Memphis. But earlier in the season, he had a DNQ at the uh, Gary Nationals. So that hurt him. But they're kind of, kind of moving on, right, basically. Um, Chuck Etchell's, like, a business, he was a businessman, if I recall. Uh, it was his rookie year in terms of NHRA competition, I think. Uh, teaming up with longtime veteran Paul Smith to run the Future Force car, um, basically kind of getting things kind of going there, but kind of things getting going basically. And um, this uh, race also has a story within a story from Chuck Edsel's matchup with Brad Tuttle in round one. Yeah, so we're going to hear that first about Tuttle and what happened to him in qualifying, and then we'll hear the race itself. In round number one, Etchell's raced against Brad Tuttle, who had absolutely no reason to believe he would be here. 
in his only qualifying pass, Brad Tuttle exploded an engine, which in turn disintegrated the fiberglass body. But on that run, Tuttle qualified for the 16-car field. He was uninjured, but a tremendous amount of damage was done to this race car. The only fiberglass body that this California racer had with him was destroyed in that explosion. It looked as though his trip to the U.S. Nationals was over. For two days after that horrific explosion, Brad Tuttle sat in the grandstands watching funny car after funny car go down the racetrack trying to bump him out of the quick 16. But Brad's time held in the bump spot, number 16, and his spare body has arrived from California. But the real hero in this story, the only reason Brad Tuttle is in competition today is because of a guy named Don, and we don't even know his last name. Tell us the story. Well, what he, is, he works for my brother, and I contacted my brother and explained his situation right after it happened. And he, the guy that works for me got him on a, 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 rental, a rental truck and got him out here on his way, and 42 hours, here he is. Eyes swelled, clothes, feet swelled up. <laughs> Boy, I, I wouldn't do it. And he went to the wrong racetrack. Yeah, he went to the 500 first and called us and said, where you at? <laughs> well, a guy named Don right now is in a Holiday Inn, and he's probably going to stay there the rest of the day, wouldn't you think? I think so. I don't think we could wake him up tomorrow. He'll still be sleeping. <laughs> a tribute to the dedication of today's drag racers. Brad Tuttle made the first round and lost to this man, Chuck Eschel. Kind of reminds me of the time we blew an engine in Washington, D.C. and had to tow all the way to Calgary, Alberta, and fix it and race on a Wednesday night. You get kind of tired, Dave. This sport, Don, is just hard work. And McCulloch and his crew have put in their hours. Look at the time, 5.36 seconds, 272 miles an hour. McCulloch more than keeping pace with the rest of the field. We'll start with the race itself. McCulloch running pretty darn good. Fastest run on the round so far, 536, 272 miles per hour. Uh, the Brad Tuttle stuff, we see a massive engine explosion. Body just wrecked. Um... In the first qualifying round, but it's kind of good enough to get into the show. And so we had to wait for a body show from California, some guy named Don. I don't know who his name is. Don went to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway instead of IRP first. Good work. Also, I want to know more about this story about Don Garrett's towing a car with a blown engine from Seattle to Calgary. What track are you running in Calgary? I'm assuming it's the old Race City Complex, but still. I. Well, first of all, why would he have to go from Seattle to Calgary? I'm assuming it's the old match race days. I, I guess here there there was nothing there to see having to fix the car. I don't know. Or they were going. <laughs> already had to run in Calgary like two nights later. I don't know. Maybe. Well, let's go with that one. But uh, yeah, the tell situation there, like I, the big bang, boy was absolutely obliterated. And they said the guy with a daughter or something like that. They drove the forty hours just to get from California, shipped the body over to Indy. Um, I bet Don would have been like really unhappy, like if he got all the way there with the body, then he found out that Tuttle didn't qualify, but he got in the 16th spot. As you mentioned about Tuttle, he made the final at Seattle before getting trounced by, I think it was Bernstein, um, I want to say in that final. Um, but yeah, going back, away, going back to that matchup, Edgels didn't really have a chance, but Colleg was pretty much there at low AT of the round so far at 536. If I were to guess, at some point in the 70s, there's a match race series between him and Gary Beck uh, in Calgary. Though, there's also one back in the 70s with Don and Shirley. So, one of those two then. Featuring pro comps. Oh, I'm assuming it's... So, the tickets are five bucks. <laughs> um, 
have to look at where Calgary National Raceway was. Uh, funny Cars versus Dragsters. Comps, Eliminators, Modified Superstocks. Three, three e Eastern Time. Three, oh, three ET brackets for street racing. Oh, and also, remember the pro comp was basically Alcohol, Funny Car, and Dragsters against each other. And I think they still kind of do that in Australia today. You know, Alcohol, Dragsters, Funny Cars, and Alcohol Field Alterts raise up, race each other and heads up racing. Mm -hmm. We're going to hear from... Uh, the ace here in a second, but let's we'll have Brett talk about the uh, matchup we're going to get as well. Uh, right as it goes straight from the Ed McCullough interview, Tom Hoover against his boy John Force. Well, John Force, I said, not counting the fact that he finally won a race season, it was his best year ever. You know, he made some finals, he's got two wins on the season. He won uh, Columbus and then just won the big Mo at Brainerd. And I think at one point he got really close there. He may have led the points at one point. I'm not sure. Maybe he got real close. He was further the points tied, so he's running contention. Um, Tom Hoover been having a little bit of a renaissance. At some point during the year or later this season, he goes to the high gear only car. And so he's kind of joined a bit of a renaissance. And because there was a few years where he wasn't really running the full tour, it was kind of there when he selected the race, but he, he can be kind of tricky sometimes on a slicker track. And then. Um, there's a story within a story. Apparently, Dog Gods is trying to run Tom Fuel in 1989. Yes, I, I don't think the audio's on here. If it is, you'll hear him talking about it here after. But where did this come from? <laughs> Obviously, it doesn't happen, I don't believe, because Gods doesn't try to come back until 92. But still. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he ran in, a, in 89. Like, was he trying to build another swamp at the same time? He just didn't have the sponsorship? I don't know. How does he not have the sponsorship? Anyway. Um, I also learned that Tom Hoover ran top field at some point, which I didn't know. But anyway. Um, way, way back when, I think. All right, anyway, we'll hear from the A's, then we'll get to the race. Ooh, that rhymed. Well, Kenny Bernstein was strong, Mark Oswald was stronger, but Ace, you just hit it out of the park. Low elapsed time of the day at a 5.36. Well, you know, it's a tough old ball game out there. I mean, all of these guys are really running good. The racetrack's in superb condition. The weatherman is, I mean, you couldn't ask for anything any better. Uh, it just makes for outstanding drag racing, and that's what we're getting here. Great job. See you in the semi. Thank you. McCulloch will race one of these two cars, either Tom Hoover or John Force, in that semifinal round. Problems for Hoover as Force just blasts away from him at the start. Force elapsed time 5.44 seconds, a bit slower than the other cars. Maybe that new engine isn't producing quite the same power that the old one did. Ed McCulloch against John Force in the semifinal. McCulloch with a choice of lanes. The other pair matches the two big red cars. Mr. Consistency, Mark Oswald against Kenny Bernstein with Oswald having the late choice. Lulz. Force wins with 544-266. Uh, Brett, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're facing yeah. Ace and you don't have lane choice. Also, battle the big red cars. Let's go. Oswald with lane choice. Yeah, the battle big red cars. Like, that's a gigantic matchup in terms of the point standings. Um, and yeah, Force and Coyle are going to have to pull stuff out that had to beat uh, McCullough. So that brings us to Pro Stock. Uh, as mentioned earlier, we're going to start off with the semifinal coverage. So let's go over uh, the two first two rounds of eliminations up to this point. Uh, in round one of Pro Stock, Warren Johnson defeated Nick Nicholas, Bob Glenn over Mark Powick, Tony Christian over Dempsey Hardy, uh, Morris Johnson Jr. over Don Beverly, Larry Morgan defeats Frank Iaconio, uh, Jerry Ekman over Ken Delco. Joe Lapone defeats Harry Scribner. Uh, and Butch Leal over Bruce Allen. Obviously, the big result for me in that is Bruce Allen 
losing in round number one. Uh, oh, Allen had only qualified in the eighth stop. Harry Scribner qualified seventh. What in the world? Continue. Well, like I mentioned about some about Harry Scribner and Don Beverly. If you want a bizarro race like the 88 California Nationals, postdoc was just throw the script out the window because it was Don Beverly and Harry Scribner in the finals. Uh, Scribner got his first ever, first, and I think only career win in that race. But. Uh, yeah, I don't know what happened to Allen. And the worst case scenario for him was you have to face Butch Leal in round one, and Butch can just mow the tree down like nobody's business. And he got whacked on the starting line, and that was it, really. So that was pretty much devastating for Allen because they were trying to – everyone was trying to keep pace with Glenn because they all realized that Glenn's found his form. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leal, the number 16 qualifier. So could have beat WJ in round one. Yeah, that'd be easy. You know, WJ doesn't do good driving. <laughs> Uh, so we get to our round two, or semifinal matchups. Tony Christian facing Warren Johnson. Uh, Johnson beat Frank Iaconio, and Christian beat a red-lighting Joe Lapone to get to this point. Any comments before we get to the race? Well, WJ in 88, um, he won <coughs> Atlanta, and at some point, um, they debuted a new Oldsmobile Cutlass body, which is kind of like the main body you would see on the Oldsmobile from 80. From late '88 until the end of '95, with a couple of exceptions, um, that'll be a potent car later on. So, WJ is basically used to that. We all know WJ has a lot of horsepower, but his driving has been eh, most of the time. Uh, I mentioned Tony Christian breakout year um, moves to Chevy Beretta, rare Morrison engines, two wins in the season. And he loves to thump Bob Glidden in his Ford. Let's go to the race itself and see if Christian can get into the final here at Indy Continuous Breakout Year or if WJ is going to advance. Lots of RPM building in these engines as the two drivers get ready to leave. win for Johnson. He had the quicker reaction time at the start and the quicker elapsed time, a 7.37, and that moves him into the final. Tony Christian makes a valid try, but Johnson does the job on him on the starting line and never gives up an inch of it because he just had a little bit more power, which is indicated by the 7.37 versus the 7.39 for Christian. The speed for Johnson, 187 miles an hour. Steve? The number one qualifier, Warren Johnson, you continue to kind of slash your way through this field. It's going well for you. Well, it was a pretty decent run. Nice, clean, straight run all the way through. Uh, so we're looking real good for the final. A 7.37, about what you hoped for? That was actually better than what I hoped for. That's all right. Okay, <laughs> Warren Johnson to the semis. It's WJ. If the whole shot, he pulls away. Kurt Johnson cameo at the top end. Uh, 737, 187 miles per hour for WJ as he heads to the final. Yeah, that was just a romp. Uh, Christian was no, pretty much nowhere. I think someone was almost late staging, if I recall. But my man Christian, I can't remember. But yeah, WJ just walk, just just a walk away. Really, it was just a romp. The other semifinal, Bob Glidden taking on Morris Johnson Jr. Bob Glidden advanced with a win over Kenny Delco. Johnson Jr. with a win over Butch Leal. Here's Brett with more. Well, it's kind of a carbon copy of last year for Boglin. Both this year and in ACM, he had terrible starts to the season. I mean, he wasn't even close. Um, and then at some point, like midway, he finally started getting his form back. The competition realized he was getting his form back, and then he started to fumble. And Glenn, at this point, I think was almost on an unstoppable rampage. 
Um, I mean, I, don't, I know he didn't win Brainerd because he got thumped by Christian in his Chevy, but um, he, basically everyone was realizing Bob Gladen was back on form. Um, Morris Johnson Jr., kind of another breakout uh, performance for say he won his first career race at Montreal over which Leal. Um, and he had Dave Butner as his crew chief, who would go on to be the longtime crew chief for Mark Powick uh, a couple of years later. During he was set national records, Powick his first win in 92. But regardless, Johnson, I want to say he's a pushover. He was, he's a pretty capable driver in his own right, just a matter of horsepower, which if you're going to get Bob Glenn horsepower-wise, you better have horsepower, otherwise you're a dead meat. Let's see if that'll work against him. The winner here will move to the final round to race Warren Johnson for the Nationals title. Bob Clinton by just a car length goes into his 12th consecutive final round appearance at the U.S. Nationals. His elapsed time, 7.37 seconds. What a race it will be when Warren Johnson and Bob Glidden race for the Pro Stock title. Bob Glidden has the choice of lanes by just two thousandths of a second. Nope. Glidden does lane things. His 12th straight Indianapolis final, 737-187. He will have lane choice in the final, though, by two thousandths over WJ. And let's hear from Glidden now. He talks to Steve. Another tremendous post-hoc drag race. Morris might have got off the mark a little bit first, but your 737 handled it. 37 is, you know, I think that's what Warren ran. Yeah, it was a very good race, Steve. I think uh, Morris did leave a couple hundreds on me, but uh, the Thunderbird thundered on this end. You got an Oldsmobile that thundered just before you. You go in deadlocked, really, into the final. I don't even know who's got lane choice. I saw his 37. If we win a 37, I, you know, it's a heads-up deal. Lane choice a big deal? Hasn't been. Uh, right now, the both lanes are, are really good. What a great final. Thank you. All right, we're going to hit the top fuel semifinals now after that. Is there anything else you want to add from that Glidden lulzing? Not really, other than if we're looking at the ETs, like, buckle down. Like, this postdoc final could be one to remember because they're that close on ET why they may come down to the starting line. Head back to Nitro category now in top fuel semifinals. Daryl Gwynn taking on Gene Snow. Snow thinks he can run a 502. Sure. I mean, it is cool and overcast all of a sudden, but still, that seems kind of ballsy. Hey, he told that to Big Daddy, he predicted a 502, so who knows? But we know how powerful Gwyn's car is, so maybe still, is our honest of it, or he'll be eating crow in a little bit? Let's find out if he is eating crow or not. This is the top fuel semifinals. Daryl Gwyn in the far lane against Gene Snow. You heard Don say Snow has predicted a 5.02, that out of the brand new car. Look at that, five seconds flat on Gene Snow. He almost went in the fours. The first time ever in competition, a 5.00 second elapsed time. Gene Snow goes into the finals of the Nationals with the most dominant performance we have seen in a long time. Absolutely unbelievable racing at the U.S. Nationals. I'm going to eat my face. Snow runs away as wins. It's a nice wheelie up starting line, but Snow runs a throw down five flat, 276 miles per hour. That was the, qu the quickest competition, E.T., in NHRA history, almost a four-second run. 
Gwen had no chance on that. Um, I think he left with Stowe. He had the wheels in the air. But yeah, Stowe just flying around that. And that really hurt Gwen. He was second in points coming in. And now he needed help from Orsby. Otherwise, Amato may pull away in the points. Meanwhile, Gene Snowden, I don't think, knows he's run a five flat yet until he talks to Steve. Remember, the old days. You don't have radios hooked up, everybody. So let's go to Steve and Gene at the far end. Well, before Gene Snow crawled into this new race car, he told our friend Don Garlitz he thought he'd run a 502. Well, Gene, you didn't. You ran five seconds flat. Five seconds flat? Amazing! I can't, God, all I need was that much more, and that'd have been it. That's wonderful. I, I don't know what to say. A brand new car. Gene Gaddy built the best. Our crew's wonderful. Emily's great. This is great. I have nothing to add to that. We'll see you in the semis. Oh, thanks a lot. Okay. Steve, you're so excited, you just told him he's in the semis. Actually, Gene probably knows for sure he's in the finals. Well, congrats to Steve. He doesn't know what round it is. He's <laughs> <laughs> probably excited for the five flat as well. I mean, I, I miss those days, you know, when you're interviewing a Tim with the ET and, like, track engine instead of whatever the hell it is they do today. Two-way radios, you already know by top end. Yeah. One of my favorites when, like, I think it's Steve Schmidt when he wins at uh, Seattle. Yeah. Seattle 94's first win. What did we run? Who cares? Good point. <laughs> Steve says that all the time. Everyone wins uh, the final round. Anyways, you mentioned a semifinal matchup. It's Gary Orsby taking on Joe Amato. Let's see if Orsby can pull off an upset. Based on performances, Amato has got the edge in this race. He certainly has, and you can bet his mind is already on the finals because he looked up at the scoreboard and saw that big five-second flag. An incredible hill to climb for either one of these racers. And Ormsby smokes the tires for the second straight year. Romano's in the finals, but he's 11 hundredths of a second behind Gene Snow. His time a 5'11 at 2.75. Crew chief Tim Richards, the crew, and Joe Amato will be trying to find some additional performance. Don, what would you be thinking about if you were in Joe's position? I'd be hunting everything. More fuel, more max, spark lead, more blower boost. I mean, they got to do something to get a tenth of a second. Well, the question is now, can he possibly overcome Gene Snow's five-second flat? Rip. Gary Horsby will now be pulling off an upset. And also, it looks like rip for Joe Amato. His speed's 275 miles per hour. Not bad compared to Snow, but he ran a 5'11". Could you believe it? Gene Snow has lane choice in the final? Wow. Well, it's consistent in another final, but he, I think he and the general timers know they're going to probably have to throw everything at this car if they're going to have a chance at Snow. If, he's not, if, he, get a, if he runs a five flat again and Miley runs a five flat, he's in big trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's go to the funny car side of things. It's the big matchup of the year, the big red cars, Kenny Bernstein and Mark Oswald. Let's go! Yeah, this is, like I said... A gigantic matchup in terms of the points because these two are pretty close. And if Oswald and company have to make a move, and they've been consistent, so they can pick up the pace a little bit. Maybe they got a shot at this against Kenny. Now in the semifinal round of the U.S. Nationals, Mark Oswald is challenged by Kenny Bernstein. The two cars that have competed over the last several seasons for the Winston Championship, with each time Bernstein coming out on top. The last time Oswald won a Winston title was in 1984. And dominant performance by Kenny Bernstein is crew chief Dale Armstrong reacting to a 535, 269 mile an hour blast that moves Kenny Bernstein into the finals. 
Well, Dale Armstrong's pretty excited after that race. 535 and 269 beats Mark Oswald. Bernstein's heading to the finals of the U.S. Nationals. Uh, in case you're wondering, Oswald fell off to a 542 and 269. Or you can fall off if Bernstein improves low ET, low ET for now with a 535. Uh, yeah, that, that had to hurt for Oswald because like their car was so consistent, but yet fall off and Percy then went to 535. I think if he would have, if Oswald had a 37, he got the whole shot, he would have a good shot at him. Here's Bernstein talking with Steve. 535. Well, that's good. That's back to where it has been the first couple of days. We kind of lost it, but we really stepped on it. It's amazing what that track will take right now. The cool air, who would have thought? Well, you saw snow's 500, so the track can take it. Uh, boy, I just feel great about it all. Okay, congratulations, Kenny Bernstein. He could make it two in a row. That brings us to the other semifinal. John Force against Ed Yates McCullough. Well, Force and Coyle, um, I hope you got something. This isn't 1993 yet. Let's find out if he does have something. Of course, hope not. Bernie Fairley's still tuning the Aces car. As we've said before, Don, nothing is easy in the sport of NHRA championship drag racing. Just ask Ed McCullough or John Force. Tremendous race, and there is the quickest elapsed time of the event. 5.32 seconds, his speed over 273 miles an hour. Ed McCulloch has got to be favored over Kenny Bernstein in the finals. Certainly has. John Force gave it his best shot at the starting line. Got a real nice advantage over McCulloch, and it looked like he might just be able to hold on. But the McCulloch car begins to come on and puts the daylight on Force by the time they get to the finish line. McCulloch aiming for a record fourth U.S. Nationals funny car crowd. When was the last time you were in a U.S. Nationals Finals? 1980. Oh boy. Here we go. Just when Kenny Bernstein and his crew thought it was safe to go on the racetrack, here comes McCulloch. He throws more chips on the table. That's why they call him the ace. Ed McCulloch and Kenny Bernstein, the funny car finals at the U.S. Nationals. McCulloch has the choice of lanes. The final round. Coming up next. Well, Force did have a whole shot, but no. Good race, but Ace wins at 532 at 273. He'll have lane choice in the final. Uh, I like the interview. It's just one question. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, like I said, Force, he drilled McCullough, but his car got a little loose, drove to the right a little bit, and McCullough walked away low ET of the event at a 532, so he's got lane choice over Kenny Bernstein. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go now and get ready for the finals. Before we get to the action itself, Don Garland shares his thoughts on the Funny Car matchup. The Funny Car final is shaping up to be one heck of a car race. They're very evenly matched. Bernstein, 535. Ed McCullough, 532. It's going to be a race of the crew chiefs. Which one of these crew chiefs are able to extract that tiny little bit of extra performance? I talked to both of these guys, and I think that Dale Armstrong is going to make the most radical move to try to do it. Now, he'll either strike the tires or win the race. Dale Armstrong, the highest-paid crew chief in motorsports today. Nearly $300,000 a year, and Bernstein says he's worth every penny. Dale Armstrong making $300,000 as the crew chief in 1988. For reference, that's about $666,000 in Canadian funds. Today, I'm not sure what the American funds is for that. But either way, that's big cash money for a tuner at that point. Oh, yeah. Like, like I say, 
Bernstein. He's been Bernstein's coaching since I think '83, and he's paid that much money then. So he must have a really good gig. And he's was their Archer's an innovator. We've seen his work for out, you know, for all of the years until about '97 when they finally '97 or '80s when they finally separated. So the matchup begins. Our our final round matchup start off with W.J. Warren Johnson facing Bob Glenn in the Pro Stock Final. We also get we won't play the clip for you here. A chat with both wives. Um, Etta Glidden, Arlene Johnson with big ass cameras at the top, at the top end. Release that footage. Yeah, but, yeah, they both have like they all have big video cameras, like videotaping the cars. Like you don't see that today. I'm pretty sure everyone's doing the videotape to run on their phones. You know what? I also miss the uh, big the big rear tires have those big white stripes on them. I miss those. Those are great. Anyway, race itself here. Uh, Glidden, obviously, the dominant guy to your WDA trying to catch up to him. Let's see how this goes. And Warren Johnson leads a red light on the starting line. An automatic win for Bob Glidden. His ninth U.S. Nationals title in his 12th consecutive final round of Barrett. Anna Glidden absolutely jubilant with his 65th national event victory the all-time winner and incredible record Don Garland. Dave, Bob Glidden owns Indianapolis Raceway Park. These two cars so incredibly matched. Both cars came into this round with a 7.37 elapsed time. It's no wonder that Warren Johnson redlighted. You have to get the starting line advantage. Don, let's ride with Bob Glidden one more time on the way to his 65th national event title. Bob Glidden comes out of the car, giving himself a round of applause, and we join in it. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, what a win, Steve. Did you see his red light? No, I didn't know he red light, but I, th I thought I left on a pretty good light, and he was out of car legs, so, you know. Good and, a race, and a nice capper, 734. 34? I, I, I thought we made a pretty nice run, but got out of shape a little, but the air's so good. What a race. Well, instead of Warren being late as he usually is, he's 400 days early for some reason. Glidden wins it with a casual 734, 9-3 uh, in his last 12 Indy Finals. And as you'll heard in the previous episode of this podcast, the 89 edition returned to the finals again but get upset by Larry Morgan. Uh, in case you're wondering, Glenn ran a 734 at 188 miles per hour, WJ 740-187. I mean, yeah, WJ's car fell off a bit, but I don't understand how you would be redlining that badly. If, <laughs> uh, Warren... By the way, in case you want to hear, sorry, that 89 event, go to episode 19 for Glidden and Morgan. Continue. Uh, Warren. <laughs> it, it's almost cringe for you sometimes of him on the starting line. <laughs> 65th win for Glidden in his career. We'll get some more on what happens to the Pro Stock side of things for the end of the season a little bit later on. All right, big matchup at Funny Car. I mean, most of these matchups at this point are big matchups. Uh, Kenny Bernstein and Ed Ace McCullough. As we discussed earlier, McCullough starting to pick up the pace here, and obviously Kenny picked up with that win over Oswald. So, Almost a pick em in a way. Pretty much a pick em, I think. Um, and, and all it really comes down, you know, like McCullough ran low ET in the event. Like, can he, can he repeat that? You know, maybe bursting a pick up face, but it, it, it like, all intents and personal, it is a pick em final. You can tell by the pensive look on Armstrong's face. He's wondering, did I make the right decisions? Well, of course, Don, that's got to be on Federley's mind, too. Well, of course it is, Dave, because this is the most important race of the year as far as I'm concerned, and I'm sure they feel the same way. Here we go. 
McCulloch winning a record fourth U.S. Nationals crowd. Driving for Larry Miner, McCulloch has moved into the record book with a 5.35 second elapsed time. His speed, 271 miles an hour. Bernstein actually ran quicker, a 5.34, but McCulloch had the advantage at the start. One of the rare instances when Bernstein was actually late. Dale Armstrong made all the right decisions, but had to stand helplessly on the starting line as Ed McCullough outdrove Kenny Bernstein to win the drag race. Here's Steve with the champion. This is the drag race to win. This is the drag race everybody remembers who won. This is the fourth time I've won this. I don't think anybody else has ever won it four times in the Funny Quark category. It was the first one I ever won, I'm telling you. I'm as excited this time as I was the first time. And for Miller, for Oldsmobile, for Bernie, Larry Miner, our whole crew, I mean, I love it. It's, it's great. And you earned this one behind the steering wheel. Congratulations again. Thank you, Steve. Pretty darn good race. The ace wins his fourth of his eventual six Indian titles. He'd win again in 1990 in a top fuel in 92 in the McDonald's car. 535 at 271 miles per hour for the ace. Uh, Bernstein, not yet the king of speed. He ends up running a 534 at 270 miles per hour. Pretty much, I think the race of the day, especially with the final, because I, you know, McCulloch drilling Bernstein off the whole shot, and then, like, Bernstein, like, almost ran down, but he got near the starting line and fell off a little bit. Like, he's been on our pace. McCulloch was the car that fell off to the 535, but, like I said, drilling Bernstein. Um, and like Bernie Sales, like, that was pretty much, I thought, the race of the day. So, we heard Big Daddy earlier describing what he thought was going to happen in a funny car. Let's get his thoughts on Top Fuel. Race fans, you are privileged to watch drag racing history in the making. This car has just run five seconds flat in the semifinals. I talked to Gene Snow. He says, looked me straight in the eye and said, Big, we're going to run 498 on this next run. 498 would be the national record, the first official run under five seconds. You know, I believe it's going to happen. Joe Amato ran a fine 511, but 511 doesn't hold a candle to 498. Joe Amato has got to be wondering if there any way to repeat as the top fuel champ at the U.S. Nationals. 498, huh? <laughs> We're just trying to break records here. That's <laughs> all. still all he wants to do is just tinker and tinker and tinker and want to rotate the earth like every five seconds, even in like a little hot day. Uh, you heard earlier to discuss the fact that Gene Snow bought a brand new car to this event. To discuss more about that, here's Steve. For the past few months, Gene Snow and his crew have been keeping a list on the trailer wall of new features for next year's race car. For one thing, they no longer run a transmission, so why not move the engine back about six inches closer to the rear tires for better traction? And maybe tilt it down about, oh, a half a degree or so. But they were afraid if they did that in a car of the same length, 275 inches, it would wheel stand. So they figured next year's car will go right to the limit of the rules, 300 inches in wheelbase. And their car was a little bit heavy. They said next year we'll go to magnesium body panels and magnesium bolts and get right down to that 1900 pounds with gene on board and finally they said wait a minute why wait till next year they called texas chassis builder gene getty they said gene can you have a car ready for indy he said you sure you want a new car at indy they said yeah he said i'll have one well it came in here unpainted they take it to a paint shop every night and the paint scheme keeps changing day by day as it's completed a lot of people laughed and they said only the snowman would bring a brand new car to the biggest drag race of them all they're not laughing anymore the quickest car in the history of nhra drag racing 
So here we go. Amato did run a 507 earlier, but at this point, I mean, if you're going into it, you're like, okay, this this is snows to lose. It's not. It's kind of like a year later, where if Snake doesn't win, everyone's gonna be slack jawed in top in Funny Car. But at least with that one, Snake came out of the gates just throat ripping. Snow has kind of been building towards this. Oh, pretty much building, and like Amato and Amato and Richards are probably figured either. Either repeat and hope he breaks down his most tires, or just go for the throat. And um, well, basically, I think both of them were going to go for the throat. Let's see what happens. Five seconds flat, the best time thus far for Snow. But the big question is, can he run that four? He says he can, Dave. But Don, we shouldn't forget about this man, Joe Amato. He's run 507. His car is a little bit shorter than Gene's, but it also uses the high gear only direct drive system. What a race this is going to be. And Amato up in smoke. Still great. Amato is back on the throttle. And Amato powers his way to a second consecutive U.S. Nationals title. What an incredible climax to the excitement of championship drag racing as a tire-smoking Joe Amato puts away a broken Gene Snow. Don, just another example of never knowing what's going to happen. Well, that's what we're faced with, Dave. The cars have got so much power. It's a fine line between smoking the tires, not smoking the tires, or breaking those driveline parts. I mean, you run five seconds flat, you're really putting the pressure on every little piece that delivers that power to the rear wheels. Very quick thinking for Joe Amato. He saw the problem and took advantage of it. Here's Steve with the final survivor of this five-day battle. To win this race just one time is something. To win it back-to-back, -back, as Joe Amato has done, well, that's really special. Joe, congratulations. I'm not proud of how I won, Steve, but I guess whoever goes across the finish line wins. Well, that was tenacity. I mean, the car left, it did a wheel stand, and it, came, it smoked the tires, I think, and then it came down, and then I, I pedaled it once, and then I saw snow, it had trouble. So then I got on it again, and it started fishtail, and it was, like, going all around. Then I, he didn't come, and so I pedaled it a couple of times. It was like, it was like, I was on ice, you know? But my crew did an outstanding job, you know, Tim Richards and all the guys, I mean, the keystone key parts, that one's for you guys. Joe Amato, U.S. National Champion twice in a row. Well, that was sicko. Amato wheelies and smokes and tires. Snow breaks, a throttle cable snaps. Amato wins a sicko-ass finish in the U.S. Nationals. Amato runs a staggering 681 at 202 miles per hour. Snow 10.361 at 85 miles per hour. Uh, like that has to be disheartening for Snow to break the throttle cable. Like I said, because um, he had a model dead to rights, and uh, a model saw the break and, and basically got it back, drove it back down through, and um, that's what a model, Joe Mama would call kind of years later to always be winning ugly. This is an era um, too where around some of the top fuel finals at Indy were kind of sicko. I mean, we discussed '93 already. Yeah, we haven't gotten '91, uh, which is very sicko, and. Then, I'm, I'm sure some other ones. Oh, 95, where Vandergriff's parachute pops out halfway down the track. Yeah. Um, 90, 89, LaHaye blows up on the starting line. 90 wasn't really sicko. Um, I'll leave it at that. Um, and then 91 was, 92 wasn't, 93 definitely was, uh, 94 wasn't, 95. Um, yeah, 95 was. And I kind of, and 96 in theory was, um, but I can't remember after that. 94 is a sicko matchup in a way because of how the season had gone. But anyway, that's, we're yeah. getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here. All right. Now, 
we're going to get to the outro in a bit. TNN or whatever, TNN may have showed it on American Sports Cavalcade. The syndicated version of the show, but I have sports and results. Yay. Uh, Pro Stock Bike, which is kind of in its infancy at this point. David Schultz wins, lols, over Russ Olmstead. Top alcohol driver, Gary Southern defeats John Spielman. Comp Eliminator, Brett's favorite class, Steve Ambrose over Larry Cop. I'm saving Top Alcohol Funny Car for the end for a very obvious reason. Superstock Mike Town defeated Jeff Taylor. Ken Sawyer defeated Wes Leopold Sr. in Stock Eliminator. Supergas Hugh Norton defeated John Hazelrig. And in Top Alcohol Funny Car, Pat Austin over Frank Manzo, baby. Let's go. Release that footage. Somewhere may have found that final. If I recall, I think Austin may have won in a romp. But I could be wrong on that. I might have been thinking of a different year. But yeah, to have those two take on each other in a final, that was definitely something else. I mean, you go up like you know, Brad Anderson, you got Bob Newberry in that class too. So you had those four, those are some those are some hitters. Uh Austin 611, 226, Manzo 613, 228, by the way. If I recall, it may have been wire to wire, I, I think. Austin ran ten, a tenth quicker than the top alcohol dragster weather. <laughs> well, because the alcohol dragsters, they can run as big invention as they want in those cars. Um, the alcohol dragsters, you're limited by, um, depending on what engine combination you run, you're limited by a pound per cubic inch rule. Uh, same one as sports and wise, they'll explain it better to you. All right, let's go into the rest of the season. We're kind of into the later stages of the campaign at this point. So here's Brett to fill you in on what went down uh, in the three other classes. Well, after Indianapolis, um, Bob Glenn was basically in a pro side. He was basically just on a roll. Um, I don't remember if he won the uh, the Keystones or not, but that race was most memorable for the funny car final. It was a rematch of Indy. Bernstein and McCullough. Bernstein was the one who whole shot McCullough despite the fact he was popping a wheelie mid-track and he still beat McCullough on a whole shot. If you want, you, if you want to see that final, like, that race is on there. You get it's something to behold. Having a funny car, popping wheelies and still winning. Like, that was definitely incredible. To answer uh, your Bernstein. question, yes, uh, Glidden did win over Jerry Ekman. I uh, believe right. Ekman red-lid. He red lit by a mile. I remember that now. Um, yeah, you mentioned funny car. And so, as it go later on in the season, uh, there was a brand new event. This might have been replacing the Texas Motorplex because the uh, Houston Raceway Park, and you know, like those Super Nationals, um, some, quite a few things happened there. Um, there were some new cars. Mark Oswald and Bob Glidden both had new Ford probe bodies. Um, Glidden debuted the car at Houston. Um, it was totally different. Like it wasn't like boxy like the other cars. It was around the front end and whatnot. Um, Glidden won the first race out. <laughs> he won over. Um, it might have been Morris Johnson. I think be in the final, but I can't remember. Or maybe WJ actually. I'll look. Be in the Keep rambling. It might have been WJ be in the final. Um, and Glidden would then also win Phoenix, and he was and he was just gone at that point. He won his ninth Winston title. Similar story to said, like I said, had a really bad start, but picked it up and pretty much ran away at the end of the season. Yes, he beat WJ. And then um, in Funny Car, um, I think again, if I recalled, that was almost a 
chance for Oswald to make the ground back up on Bernstein. The points because Bernstein lost to John Force in round one. Oh, but for some reason, though, the Kansas and Hughes team, they had the four pro body on the first two rounds, but they went back to their Thunderbird body in the semifinal against, I believe it was Larson. He lost. <laughs> <laughs> I do not understand that at all. And at, at, at that point, they didn't have the pro body, I think, the rest of the season. They stayed with the Thunderbird, and I don't understand why. Um, but eventually... In that race, um, we come down to Mike Dunn and results of the funny car final. Mike Dunn won that race, for a call. But that was definitely important. The points for Oswald and Bernstein, like I said, losing like that it really, really hurt. Them. Eventually, the um, title fight in funny car came. It did come down to the Winston finals, and I think Oswald lost. It was almost, I almost a pick'em deal. I think Oswald made to go one round further than Bernstein. It was, but Oswald lost in round two to that pesky Tom Hoover and that ended his title hopes and Bernstein would go on to win his fourth funny card title he would lose the Winston Finals to John Forrest and Forrest was incredibly emotional because he always wanted to beat that big red card of Bernstein and that was his third win of the season for John and ended up finishing third in the points in that regard but Tom Fuel at that event in Houston was when all hell broke loose <laughs> um, Eddie Hill and Gene Snow were basically fighting for a four-second barrier. Snow was the first in NHRA competition to do it, and then Hill would then go run a 499. It was quicker than Snow by the foul, like thousands or so. So he got the record, and so he went into the final round against Joe Mel, which I, but I gotta go back, though. Eddie Hill almost pulled out of this event. They blew up everything they owed. Earl Whiting came in. I gave him, I think, a blower or a supercharger, one of those two made the field, bumped Whiting out of the bump spot, and then with that combination that they had, um, made it to the final, and then Hill uncorks like the quickest he's seen in history of 493, and everyone loses their minds. Like, Buzzy Carl was jumping like a maniac, throwing his hat around, and that momentum continued because they would go to Phoenix, and Hill would beat Frank Hawley. Uh, who made the final Larry Myers go Holly drilled the daylight down on the starting line line but uh, Hill would win again but he was kind of too far back I think he needed to I think win the Winston finals I think or go laying in maybe a little while go around round two but Hill had problems in round one couldn't get the car reversed they got it back in time he had to rush up to the starting line and then blew up against Dick LaHaye so like I said Eddie Hill had a breakout season when the 493 was definitely something to remember but a mile very consistent all year long would go on to win that would have been his second Winston title because he won in 84 but was run up to Garza in 85 and he's 6 and then lost a very close title fight to LaHaye and so there was a mile second title very consistent whole season long in that approach and at the like I said very competitive 1988 season I just realized uh, you're talking about Force winning. Uh, there's no Force cameos in this episode. What a shame. Yeah, isn't it? There's no Force interview being an absolute cuckoo head. We'll find more events for that one. Anyway, uh, so the 88 U.S. Nationals itself, is this one worth going back to watch, Brett? Def I, was, I would think so, yes, because like, you had, again, historical commercial. Glenn, 65th win. Um, snow, five seconds flat. Um, voice chases and funny car like 
mental final with Bernstein and McCullough. Um, a lot of U.S. Nationals are always around, but I think this is this is definitely up there kind of with memorable U.S. Nationals for a number of reasons. Yeah, I'd say so. It really picks up once we get to the, se- the top field semifinals. Once snow froze down to five flat, business definitely picks up. Uh, as I said earlier, the first part of the coverage is kind of frantic with everything that's going on, but then it starts to pick get a little bit more normal. Now, I know America Sports Cavalcade is there because if you watch Drag Racing 88, there's top-end interviews. So, there's probably an America Sports Cavalcade version just floating around. So it'll be interesting to watch that in hindsight if that ever shows up on YouTube uh, down the line. Also, where's my sportsman? Calm down. Find me sportsman U.S. Nationals coverage. I know he'll get that. Anyway, uh, thanks for doing this once again, Brett. Uh, we'll have you on here, I'm sure, before September. But we'll definitely have you on in September to discuss the year. You were born in 1990 U.S. Nationals. Also, the Big Bud shootout will play a big role in that episode. So, you want force excitement? Oh, you're going to get force excitement. <laughs> you're going to see him angry and happy. Anyways, if you want to hear more about uh, other episodes on the program, or other U.S. Nationals episodes, 1989-1993, should up to this point, you can just go and search for the Lesser Versus Sports Podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the TuneIn app. And you can also... Find a direct link to the show, anchor.fm slash Lucas Funkari. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon. The 1988 NHRA U.S. Nationals have been brought to you by Budweiser. For all you do, this Bud's for you. And by Goodyear Eagle Tires. Goodyear, because there really is a difference. And by Ford. Have you driven a Ford lately? Promotional consideration provided for and a fee paid by Peak Antifreeze. Only Peak gives you peak performance. And by Campbell's Chunky Soup, it takes care of the meanest appetite. The 1988 NHRA U.S. Nationals has been a presentation of Diamond B Sports. Hey, you're a soldier on a gun, runner.